All right. Hi, I'm Thomas with Believe in the Run. And this is Megan with Believe in the Run. And this is Megan with Featherstone Nutrition. AKA Feathers. And today we have a very special guest who's actually already been on the podcast once, but Mary Johnson, welcome back. Strongest woman athlete in the world. Wow. Wow. You are blowing me up right now. I'm happy to be here and now even happier. <laughs> so before we dive into our listener question, let's talk about our sponsor, Inside Tracker. Thomas, what is Inside Tracker? Funny you should ask. Inside Tracker is an ultra personalized nutrition platform that uses blood work to create one of a kind, science backed action plan to help you reach your potential for better performance and a longer, healthier life. Yeah, so they were founded in 2009, and the Boston company first started working with professional athletes who wanted to see what their biomarkers, hormone, and mineral profiles look like during their training and how they could use nutrition and lifestyle to improve. Get this, they measure over 30, 30 biomarkers and recommend food and supplements to optimize things like your energy, cognition, endurance, heart health, and more. And... The really great news for you all is for a limited time, Inside Tracker is offering our listeners 25% off their entire store. Boom. Just go to insidetracker.com slash fuel. <laughs> She's super strong. Can you flex? People can't see it, but they'll feel it. I have a, there it is. I did just go to the gym, so I've got some pump going on, but you know. I like it. I like it. You're making feathers uncomfortable over there. She's like rippling her abs. She just had a sip of water. I know. I'm so scrawny. <laughs> Come on, more protein. All right. Hey, so, I mean, I love seeing Mary, but why is she on the show today? So we're going to talk all about the Breaking 3 project or group. You can tell us what it's officially called, Mary. But before we dive into that, if people did not listen to our initial podcast with you, can you give us a little background on who you are and what you do? Sure. Uh, I am Mary Johnson, and I am the owner of Lift and Perform, which is a coaching group. Um, we coach people all over the world. Um, I'm also on social media as it's a marathon. So if you don't know Lift, Run, Perform, the coaching group, then you might have seen me personally. And I run too sometimes. Um, and you knock out babies. You just had a baby, right? I did, yeah. I just had a, a baby girl um, about three months ago. And are you running already? Now, yeah, I just started. So um, I waited um, about 10 weeks and um, I had a really easy delivery this time around, which was much, much different from my first. Um, and I saw pelvic PT at six weeks and I made the bold statement when I saw her, I said, I know you're not going to believe this, but I think I'm actually pretty close to running. And she, she laughed and she said, all right, we'll see. And then at the end of the appointment, she was like, you, you're not wrong. You are pretty close. Um, and she said that if it wasn't for my history of just having an unstable, uh, unstable back, um, she was like, I would clear you today at six weeks, but um, I'm going to advise that you take probably another three to four weeks to just do strengthening work and um, start around nine to 10 weeks. So I waited at till 10 and I did the walk run thing and I've got a 20 minute run up today. So yeah, it's just, it's been really, um, it's very interesting how different recoveries can be when it comes to babies. Very, very different. Well, I have a question because I've never had anything around my pelvic. 
Um, what are they looking at and what are they doing to say, hey, it's cool to go running? So um, that's, a, no, that's actually a really great question, um, especially because I feel like pelvic PTs are, I don't want to say a newer concept, but I think people are still learning about them or they're not sure how to find a pelvic PT in their area. Um, so the first is um, there are sites that help lead you to pelvic PTs. Um, but what they're doing is um, usually um, you'll have either, well, you'll have both an external and internal exam, which means exactly what you think it means. There is a lady looking around at your bits and making sure that the muscles are working and if they're not, what's wrong? Um, and how can you fix it? What can you do? Are there strengthening things? Are they too tight? Um, and it's uh, it's a it's a, something that everyone can go to, not just people who are postpartum. Men can go, women can go who are not pregnant. Um, people who are pregnant can go. So it's um, definitely if um, like typically symptoms, I guess, of of seeing a pelvic PT would be um, any type of urinary or fecal incontinence. Um, pain with sex, just pain, uh, glute or back or pelvic pain in general. It doesn't have to be like down, down below. It can be any type of pelvic pain. Um, and oftentimes if people have been having any type of like hip or pelvic issues and they just can't resolve them, it's worth seeing a pelvic PT. Um, so I feel like, yeah, they can, they can kind of be a taboo, um, practice and, um, it's, really important that we're a lot more open about it and can talk about it freely. So, uh, yeah, I saw my pelvic PT when I was pregnant and I have to thank her for my easy delivery. She gave me a lot of coaching cues and tips for my, for my, for my delivery itself. And then obviously postpartum, she gave me the okay, that things are looking okay. And, um, a lot of, a lot of what you want to be afraid of or not afraid of, but careful of is, um, things like prolapse, um, once you're done having babies. Um, so they can kind of give you the go ahead that things are looking okay. Now, not to derail this too much, but I was going to ask, is this something that most women are, are doing and getting cleared before they run or are women just taking a risk and getting out there and, and running before they know if things are okay? <laughs> <laughs> I see Feather's raising her hand. I can weigh in on that. <laughs> So I was just going to say, like, I really, I mean, this is clearly not exactly the topic for today, but I know we have so many female listeners and a lot of people who have had kids. And I mean, truthfully, I had kids four and six years ago and two C-sections and never had heard anything about a pelvic floor physical therapist until I started following Mary and she was talking about it. And my kids were, you know, over the age of two by then and um, definitely should have been seeing someone and just now slowness four and a half realizing that a lot of my hip and um like right leg issues i always say i have a funky right leg is from some scarring down of my oh, wow. c-section and, and it's attaching to my psoas so it's like all these issues four and a half you know years later that i probably should have caught significantly earlier right and if we i would have had you know a pelvic floor pt on board from the get-go like maybe i wouldn't have had a funky right leg the last year you know so if anyone's listening it's always a good idea yeah, mm -hmm. that that's a good point. It's also um, if you if you did wait or like you didn't have issues until you had a baby, um, it doesn't matter if it was vaginal or C-section delivery, like both types of deliveries like I, and I say qualify and it's it is and isn't the right word because the going back to Thomas, what you just asked, doctors will clear women at six weeks. That's like the gold standard. And um 
that's fine. Um, typically at that six week appointment, women will be talked about birth control and whether or not they can go back to having sex and, oh, are you peeing while going for a walk? Okay, you're fine. Um, but really pelvic health is so much more than that. And um, this is where I think people learning about pelvic PTs can be invaluable and there is a bit of a disconnect between doctors and pelvic PTs and, and physical therapy in general. Um, and there was a, a piece that came out in 2019, um, the first one ever, um, that actually did suggest that that initial six-week gold standard appointment might be a little too early um, to give women, particularly with impact sports, the go-ahead. Um, so not just running, but any type of jumping, CrossFit, like really high, high impact. Um, and the piece suggested, um, so it gave a battery of tests, so saying that most women are probably more ready to, to do those high impact sports around 12 weeks. Um, however, if you pass the battery of tests prior to 12 weeks, which some women you could pass at eight, some women you pass at six, some women you can pass at 10. And you're saying it even depends on the childbirth. Like you said that the, your first child was a different experience yeah. than the second. Exactly, exactly. It depends on the, on the weight of the baby, the type of delivery, the tearing the woman had. Um, the, the type of C-section that the woman had, um, I mean, not the type of C-section, but I would say probably the trauma to the body that the woman went through. Um, so the, the moral of the story is everyone is different and maybe it's better to wait a little bit. And some people c can, you know, handle it earlier than others, though at the end of the day, tissues are tissues and they have to heal and they have to recover and it's really important to honor that process and um you probably deal with that with your athletes who uh it, whether it's an injury to the ankle or achilles tendonitis or something everybody wants to come back a little too early and you just delay the process if you just let the body heal get get strong and then you know resume regular activity obviously you're going to have a longer uh, longevity to your running career or any athletics that you're doing. Is that, does that sound right, Mary? Yeah. I mean, even something like an ankle roll, you know, it's when you're damaging the, the tendons and the tissues, even just slightly, it's super beneficial just to start doing isometric work to regain some resiliency in that joint. So I, even when I have athletes roll their ankle, I'm like, just do PT for a couple of exercises that you can do on your own to make sure that we're not dealing with another, like an Achilles issue on the opposite side in three months. So everything, it's all, you know, it, your body is a system that all carries over and it's, it's helpful to, to pay attention when it talks to us. <laughs> I right. love it. I'm done derailing the yeah. conversation. No, that was good. So. <laughs> it was good. He was like, I didn't, I didn't know we were going to go down a story about like. Well, <laughs> honestly, I know I could point, <laughs> I could point at the pelvis. I know generally where it is, but I don't know much about it. I mean, I, I actually, I really appreciate you asking about it because I have so many people that I coach that didn't know where they're starting, like Megan said, they're starting to learn more. And I think the more we can talk about it, the more we can be open about it. Um, and then the more we can be respectful of each other's process, the better. And I think like... Yeah, I think the more the more information that's out there, the better. So I'm I'm happy you asked, Thomas. <laughs> All right, let's roll into the real stuff. Okay, so yeah, Mary, we briefly said we want to chat with you about this Breaking Three project. So give us a little background on when it all started and sort of how it came to be. Yeah, so in 2019, um, 
myself and Lauren Floris, um, who was another running coach, um, we had the idea of, hey, what if we got a group of women together to, to, to run a goal together? The thing that you lose after uh, collegiate athletics, and for many people, for most people, high school athletics, because most people don't go on to do a sport in college, um, is that concept of a team. So we both have, Lauren and I had both run side by side with other women. We know how powerful that is. Um, it's something that I think we both just crave in our own training. So why don't we just replicate that among other women? Um, and then with the power of the internet, it really can connect us to people all over the world. So um, let's make an application-based program. Let's get some sponsors on board. Let's arm these women with the most stuff they can could possibly need to get there to get them to a sub three marathon um and uh, we we attacked the indie monumental marathon in 2019 and it was an awesome it was definitely one of those days where i was like is this gonna work i don't know and i think um there was something really special i mean there was something special and magical about both teams um that have gone so far but that first one was definitely like I was, I feel like that whole morning I was holding my breath, like, ah, is this going to work? Is this going to work? And then, um, as, as the results came through, it I was like, I was actually, I couldn't make it to the finish line. I was in the back of the Uber in traffic, Ugh. but I'm like crying, looking at the results on my phone because it was, it was working. Wasn't feathers and, one of them? Um, no, after this. So I remember I had already signed up and was working with the coach and planning on trying to break three at Indy. And then I like stumbled upon like Mary's group was already in progress. And I was like, Ooh, they're all going too." So I think that's probably when I like really started following Mary and started stalking her. But, um, you know, so I knew these, all these girls are going to be there. They're red crops. So literally, I mean, if anybody's run Indy, you know, there's like a huge group that's, that's running, you know, around that three hour mark. But literally it was like, I constantly had these like little cute little red top crop tops in this freezing cold weather, like just dancing all around where I was. And, um, yeah, but I'll let Mary take it from there. But no, I didn't have a red crop on that day. Yeah. So, uh, and, and this year, 2021, um, obviously 2020 didn't happen. Um, and in 2021, we weren't sure if races were going to go off at all. Um, and I was just kind of waiting and waiting and waiting and didn't put together any type of team. And then it was really to that point in the summer where like we had to make the decision or just scrap it. And, um, I will, I'm a procrastinator. I will, I'm going to own up to that. And at the very last minute, I was like, all right, I'm going to, let's, let's, I got to do it. I made a deck. I presented uh, the deck to some potential sponsors, um, got people to, to, you know, kind of sign in and say, yeah, I will support you. Um, we had a couple coaches within the coaching group to say that they wanted to, to coach. So we created three teams. Um, so, um, there was a team at Indy, a team at CIM and a team at, um, there will be a team at Houston. The team at Indy got somewhat dissolved and we didn't talk about it much. This is actually the first time I'm like talking about it. Um, but it was, we had six women, um, and one by one, right in the beginning, they just kind of dropped off. So one came in with an injury. Um, so she had to pull out. One came in, um, got really nervous about COVID. She pulled out. Another came in, she um, committed on the on the coaching cost, then decided she didn't want to pay that. Um, so it was just kind of like this really sad devastation of like one by one, they decided to leave. This the to team. clarify, this was this year, not the first year. Yeah, that this year, this year. The first year we had uh, nine women. Out of the nine at the original Indy, how many, how many went sub three? 
um, five. Five, and all of them PR'd, and the ones who um, did not go sub three, they were all very, very close. And, and one person um, didn't have her best day, but still was able to, to, to run a personal best marathon. So it was definitely testament to, like, even when you're having a really shit day, because you know the team's waiting for you at the end, you're not going to throw in the towel. And I think that's really important. And especially in something like a marathon where it gets hard and it's really hard to, to not just be like, oh, screw it. Um, yeah. And, you know, you just it's so easy to just drop it and just say, I'm just going to jog it in or I'm going to stop at this porta potty or whatever. So, um, yeah, I think knowing that you're going to have some open arms at the finish line, like that's kind of what I would visualize if I was having a really bad day. It's just like, I got to I want that hug. Um so, so yeah, so this year's indie team did just kind of dissolved at the end. We had three women. Um, and then of those three at the last minute, one got COVID one strained her ankle or her calf. I'm sorry. And one did run it. And, um, we ended up, we took the, um, the person who had hurt her calf. Um, she joined our CIM team and the, the person who had, um, gotten COVID joined the Houston team. And then we did have one person ultimately run and not go for sub three. She was not ready, but um, Indy went off, um, but it was concluded that it was just kind of a, the timing was really tough with all of the deferrals from the majors. Um, and I talked to the, the elite director at Indy about it. I was like, are you guys seeing that too? It just seemed like everyone wanted to do Boston, Boston or Chicago. And everyone had these, um, these, registrations from other marathons and he agreed they had a kind of a funny year or two um in terms of like the faster field of people who signed up so you know interesting note interesting data i'm sure 2022 will be different um but fast forward to cim and we had a fantastic field of eight women um and again all pr'd five broke three um, and again, the people who did not break three came very, very close and it was a really incredible day. I was just going to say she didn't, there were, there were people who broke three and then there were people who crushed three. Like some of the PRs that yeah. some of these women must've had were insane. I mean, didn't somebody run a 252? I mean, th these women were fit. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Going in this year, Lauren and I were definitely like these, women are really like I we knew they were fitter than than 2019 um and it was those three the there was a 250 253 254 um and and then we had we had some people 257 259 yeah so the ones the, those three sub 255 people we did know going in and so the plan for them was not necessarily to run as a group um so yeah, it was a different, um, it was a different type of fitness that we ended up seeing come race day. Um, but I also will say that choosing the group was a lot more challenging because there have not been races. So when it came to applications and when it came to knowing what somebody's fitness was going in, it was really tough because it was like, uh, we had a bunch of women being like, I have like the one who ran 250 hadn't run a marathon since 2006. <laughs> oh, wow. Um, wow. It had, yeah, it's been, it, it was, it, it had been a while since she ran a marathon. Um, and she, and she had a bunch of babies and she was like, I'm just getting back into it. And, and yeah, it just, it, it was tough to know 
where people were. One one woman just totally had burned out and didn't do anything for a year and then decided to get back into fitness. So again, I feel like also maybe testament to the fact that you can take a big break and get back and crush it. You've now coached several people to a sub three and that's their goal. Can you identify characteristics in a runner that like, obviously you can look at their times when they run, but there's gotta be a mental component to it. Is there something that you're seeing that's kind of like rising to the top for, for these women? And also the second question of that is you mentioned having kids and running fast times and, um, you know, feathers is a sub three hour marathoner who has two kids. Um, what age are we seeing a shift in the age that we're seeing high performance? Oh, I mean, 40 is the new 20. <laughs> let's just, let's just be yes. clear. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I, I actually, I just double checked that one person, the, the person who had run the 250, I was, I had mixed up my numbers. Her last marathon was 2010. Yeah. So I, I mixed up a couple still years, a but yeah. even, even still, still, and it was a, <laughs> A 306 was her PR. So again, like, right. So going from 306 to 250 and then not having run a marathon in over 10 years, like what? Um, And, and, and she wasn't the only one too. There were a couple of people who had just taken big breaks. And I would say the characteristic is um, the the non-fancy answer is um, if you have shown in recent, I, I would say the past three to four months leading into a training cycle, if you have that type of turnover, then typically creating endurance out of that turnover is kind of, uh, I won't say it's easy, but it's doable. Um, So that's something just from like a pure data and like training perspective, that's what I was looking at because again, like, yes, some people totally just chill during the the first six months of COVID, um, but it seemed as though when they were starting to get back, they were fast. And so if they were doing workouts that were showing like, easy, not easy, but like they were hanging out in the mid to low sixes, then it's like, okay, that's going to translate to a marathon probably pretty well. Or if your raw turnover is, you know, naturally around six and just sub six, then like, okay, we can work with that. We can turn you into a marathoner. Um, so that's like the, the running side of things. And then mentally, I mean, we want people who are not about themselves, right? Like it's, it's the sake of the team. This is, it's inevitable to be a part of a team and not get caught up in the comparison trap. So it's, if you know that information, what do you do with it? So if you see somebody else's run, do you encourage them or do you get jealous? And you can get stronger yourself by encouraging somebody else. And even if there is that twinge of like, oh, I wish I ran that, that type of speed. That's okay. Like, I think embracing that type of emotion of like, yeah, I, I wish I was like her, but also she's badass and I want to, I want to give her a hug and root for her too. That's going to make you stronger. So it was the answers to our questions that were really about, um, you know, people excited to be part of a team and to lift somebody else up is the more important thing that we're looking for. How did you sort of cultivate that team environment with women that are all over the country? Slack. <laughs> so we uh, we started on Facebook. We did Facebook in 2019, and um, I don't know, man. Facebook is it's all right, um, but we used Slack this time, and I loved it. And I um, I it, I don't like change, um, but um, 
we, we went for it. We tried it and it was really, really cool. It was just like messaging your teammates when you were done your workout. And like, it was, um, it was, it was a really good way to make announcements as coaches. And then also for them to, to talk about their workouts and talk about life. Um, and then what we heard behind the scenes is people, um, messaging each other and and if somebody had a crappy workout they would like we had people reach out individually and that's as as coaches we were talking about that too we were like reach out to each other we don't want to be involved if you saw somebody had a tough day ask how they're doing and like that's the the more important part that like that that's what makes the team close is like encouraging somebody else to make the private connection um that's off slack off strava like just sending them a text some of them um, so it's, you know, it's all them, but it's, it's us Slack started it. <laughs> and also I, one thing that I alluded to before, um, that I didn't really like complete the, complete the sentence is the age thing. So like, there's no limit too. So that's the other, like, uh, I didn't look at the numbers, um, this year in terms of age, but like of the five that broke three, three had kids. Um, and then again in 2019, at least two were over the age of 40, two, if not three. So it's really showing like we, we've had both, both teams. We've had a young gun. We had somebody debuting their marathon. Um, and they're kind of the dark horse because they can run fast, but can they run a marathon? Um, Mm -hmm. and really the, the marathon is an example of maturity and, um, you know, showing, showing the, the testament of, stringing your training cycle after training cycle together. So um, no limit there. That's awesome. All right, guys, jumping in here to remind you about our sponsor, Inside Tracker. So if you're listening before you know already, they measure over 30 biomarkers and recommend food, supplements to optimize things like energy, cognition, endurance, heart health, and more. And for a limited time, Inside Tracker is offering our listeners 25% off their entire store. Just go to insidetracker.com slash fuel. Do it. So this podcast is usually mostly about nutrition. So I'd love to sort of talk about, Megan, your involvement with the group, because I know that at least in these most recent groups, you have been helping out with nutrition. So talk to us about how that worked. So Mary and I had talked and, you know, like she was saying, she was like, I think I'm going to do, you know, some more of these groups. I'm, you know, looking at some different marathons. Where are we going to go? And I'm like, let me know if you want, you know, some nutrition help with this. I said, I think there's a lot we could do with these girls to really make sure that, you know, they're on track. So ultimately we decided that um, I'd have them all fill out just a little little bit of blurb about them right so that they could come to me and I would know a little bit about them and then met with each of them for 30 minutes and from those one-on-ones that I did with all of them we kind of gathered the topics that were the most prevalent that we were seeing needed addressed as a group and then we brought them all back together as a group and did you know I created powerpoints and did like a more in-depth education on you know the different things that we felt like they needed a little more attention on which I'm sure no one's going to be shocked to hear what the three things were, but one, the first thing that just jumped out at me, what was it? Bagels. <laughs> Bagels, carb loading and race day nutrition was one of them. Yes, it was. Um, that was actually the one that obviously we did as the third discussion. Um, but we really, you know, I'll just jump to that one then first, um, really honing in on race day nutrition. So we know if we're trying to work at, you know, a percent of intensity that it takes to run a sub three hour marathon, we need a lot of carbs on board, right? We need to make sure that we're fueling during 
immaculately so that we can finish as strong as we start, if not stronger. So really trying to help these ladies figure out what that fuel looked like when they were out there. And the thing I was seeing is they just weren't fueling enough. They weren't fueling early enough. They weren't fueling with the right frequency within their runs. So that was one thing that we spent a lot of time on. Um, but the one thing that just jumped out to me that I was like, we've got to tackle this first was trying to figure out how to scale nutrition with mileage. So a lot of these ladies came in and they were running pretty high mileage, but they were scaling up even higher and the intensity was getting higher. And honestly, not one of them fully grasped or understood, like, what do we do with this then? Like, and I think I see this with a lot of my athletes, right? But with people that are a little faster, even more is that we've got nutrition that works and we just try to keep it steady day to day to day, rather than being like, crap, like this is a huge week. Like, how do we scale this? So that was one of the ones we talked about. Um, and then the other one was fueling around workouts. So if we're really trying to get the most out of a specific workout to gain fitness, you know, that was another thing. People were like, wait, I should eat different before those and during it and after it and practicing nutrition during and hydration because it was through the summer for, you know, a lot of them. Um, so those were kind of the three main things that really jumped out that we were able to really dive a little deeper into as a group. And then I had, you know, a lot of them reaching out just one-on-one -on -one, like, Hey, I tried this and it worked or this didn't work. Like, what should I do next? So that we could kind of troubleshoot, you know, through their training. So Mary, when we started working with feathers, uh, we noticed a jump in our performance immediately, uh, just because we weren't getting enough carbs. We were kind of having low energy runs and, you know, probably risking injury at, at certain, uh, periods during our workouts. Um, did you notice an improvement in the athletes from the, you know, the switch in some of the nutrition? Were you able to see it affected or were you not really focused on it? I wouldn't say it was not an overnight thing at all. And nutrition isn't. It's, it's the buildup of consistency. Um, but if you look at people from the beginning to the end, I mean, just the, I mean, talk about the person that the 250 woman, I talked to her after the race and she was like, I finally ate something every 30 minutes for the first time in my life. I will tell you when she started, oh my God, she was eating like in a two hour run, maybe once. And to, to have her actually fuel every 30 minutes and what did she do? She scaled it back five minutes, one week, two weeks, another five minutes, another couple weeks. Like she did it very gradually, but this is why we wanted to work with uh, Megan from the start because we knew it wasn't going to be an overnight thing. It was making small tweaks and small changes. Um, and, and I also will say the, uh, for at least the CIM team, um, I know the, it was really funny. The Houston girls seem to have okay iron levels, but our CIM girls were all in the shitter. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, <That's bad. laughs> we got our blood test. Yeah, it was really bad. We got our blood test back in the middle of the summer and we were like, Oh my God. Like under 10 for almost all of them. Yeah. And I think once we were able to turn that around, that was huge. I explain, explain to the listeners what an under 10 iron score means. Uh, under 10 ferritin specifically. So, I mean, basically like ferritin is helping us carry oxygen to our cells. So 
like our muscles are starved of oxygen and we need oxygen to create energy. So we just like, oftentimes what you'll hear, like what's a red flag to me, if somebody I'm like, if we need to check on their ferritin is they just feel like they can't go right. Like my legs can't move. I feel tired. I feel sluggish. My legs are dead. I'm tired. It's taking me forever to recover. Like I never used to be this slow. I can't get my paces up. Like those types of things are how people are going to feel. And you know, there's not phenomenal research on the ideal level for a female runner, but kind of where the consensus is among sports dietitians is it should be at least 40. Um, so when we're saying these people are under 10, I always say like, you know, it's in the shitter, right? Like it's, it's in a bad place. <laughs> so, you know, I really applauded Mary for, from the get go, having these girls get, you know, or these women get their labs looked at because you're fighting an uphill battle as a coach, right? Like you're giving them these workouts, but they physically cannot complete them to gain the fitness if they're can't transport oxygen in their body appropriately. So that's like absolutely step one and probably a huge piece of why and then all the mental stuff yeah oh yeah yeah what did you guys uh prescribe to help them increase their iron levels we're like talk to megan quickly <laughs> 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 well and 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 honestly it's a, a i will say that I, I in my experience oftentimes helping people get their iron up while training is really hard mm -hmm. so like it, it's a mixture and again it, i would say it's a mixture of supplementation and nu nutrition mm -hmm. and remember your body is going to absorb food first and more efficiently so it's like it not just taking that information and being like oh cool i'll just take an iron pill but it's like taking that information and then also implementing it into what you're eating on a daily basis is like the best thing that somebody can do so, yeah, I, but a lot of times we were like, talk to Megan immediately and f figure out an action plan of what you're going to do. While we truthfully did keep their, their mileage and training pretty steady. Um, so I, I'm very happy. <laughs> a lot of them tripled it, actually. Um, but it was a, you, if, if you're not intentional about it, it's just not going to work. Did you have any like pushback or skepticism in the group when implementing like all these changes to diet? I gotta imagine you feel pretty lucky if Mary is your your coach and you got feathers doing your nutrition. You're just gonna do whatever the hell they tell you. <laughs> I mean, I thought it was a dream team, but I'm glad other people felt that way too. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. Mo listen, change is hard, um, but this is where the team comes back in. When you're doing it, not like you've got other people that are going through the same thing. So if you don't believe me, you don't believe Megan, talk to your teammate. Do you believe them? Hey, do they know what they're talking about? Like, um, and there was um, there was somebody in the team um, who I've been coaching for the past couple of years, um, and I she's a phenomenal woman, and I, she definitely was I would call her a, a leader too. And I think um, she always was speaking when we had our our team calls. She would speak up and be like, "Hey, don't question, just freaking do it." <laughs> Um, which listen, I'm not always right. Um, and I think any coach who's, who says that they're always right all the time is not the best. Um, but I, if I don't know something, I'm going to be really honest about it and I'm going to refer out and I'm going to say, I'm actually not sure. Let me check. Or I'm not sure. Talk to, talk to Megan, uh, talk to somebody else. Um, so I'm not afraid to, to say that. Um, and so I think, if there was, if there were questions that, that came up and I truthfully didn't know, then I'll be super transparent about it. Um, and 
yeah, I would say more pushback in the beginning. Um, but then, you know, the proof is in the pudding, especially when it comes to like uh, fueling in a run. When you don't feel like crap after a run and you don't want to nap all day and it's because you probably ate a little bit more, then you're like, huh, okay, it is working. It does. It takes some trial and error to really hook people sometimes. And you, I'm sure everybody, mm-hmm. you can pick up on people's little nonverbals or verbals as to like how receptive are they to some of this information, right? But, you know, it was really interesting. I'm sure you probably saw this too, Mary. Like you kind of knew when there was like chatter going on now that I know it was on Slack, but mm-hmm. some chatter because like randomly then I'd get like three emails like in the same day from like three CIM girls about something or after people had success at CIM, I had like a bunch of influx of questions from the Houston girls, you know, so it was like you can kind of <laughs> tell like there must have been something happening in the background recently. <laughs> I got to tell you, that's you, you bring up the Houston group and it's got to be amazing for them to see the success of the CIM group going in there just for mental. That's got to be a great lift. Yeah, they're killing it. Um, so the Houston group is coached um, by Rochelle, um, Rochelle Basil and Carly Gail Larios. Um, and they're doing awesome. Um, they're doing really, really well. And um, yeah, that's I'm really hands off. Like I'm Megan is honestly probably more involved in that team than I am. But they're they're doing really well. Their their women are getting fit and I think it's interesting though because it's gotta be contagious. They gotta see the success that happened at CIM. And you watch and you, this is the great thing I think about having the team set up is they're watching each other and you say, don't compare yourself. But at the same time, that tide that rises all ships, it, everybody starts to go and starts to believe and like, oh, we can do this. They put me on a team. Mm-hmm. They want us to succeed. They think I can do this. And they watch the other team have success. They got to be pumped up for Houston. For sure. And the other part is that it is not, I mean, it's, it's kind of ironic because we're, we're doing a team to break a specific goal. Um, you know, it's a sub three team, but at the end of the day, the, one of the first things that I talk about on our group calls is yes, we want to break three, but guess what? If we run a marathon with a finish time that starts with a three, that's going to be okay. But it's going to be the best day you ever had and we're going to work towards that. And so like you all have the potential to run under three, you all can do it. But when it comes down to it, you need to execute the best marathon of your life and take advantage of this opportunity and being with each other. And you're going to run your heart out. And if that means a 259 or if that means a 305, it doesn't freaking matter. It just means that you need to do the best that you can and walk away feeling really proud of yourself Um, and that isn't a talk that I had with them the day before the race. Yes. I said that the day before the race, but I also said that back in August and it's, it's balancing the, um, anticipation of a result and the anxiety that comes around knowing whether you're going to perform up to that result and also having the ability to step back and say the results important, but it isn't everything. And that's what running and training is about. Okay, I have one more question about nutrition. This is probably for you, Megan. Um, I was following a bunch of the women, or at least I saw a bunch of their posts, maybe from you, Mary, resharing them. And they had their kits laid out, which all looked the same, but then their nutrition all looked different. Like, I I think one girl actually had, like, a Martin and then a Humagel and then a Spring and then a... Like, there was, like, five different things Mm -hmm. there. But so how... 
how did choosing race day nutrition like happen? Did you leave it all to them? Did you just give them some advice? Because obviously everyone sort of did their own thing. And I think that's so important. Like you'll probably never see me be like, this is the best way to fuel a marathon. Because a lot of it depends. I mean, everyone's so individualized with the fuel that works for them during it. So I always ask like, what are we doing now? Is it working? Do you want to change it? So we kind of talk through those different steps. And for a lot of people, it was kind of interesting and I don't know if it's because I had just done this and I had talked about it and maybe it like got into people's minds, but like switching fuel throughout so you don't like fatigue of one thing, right? So I did have some people that were like, by the third gel, I can't take it. Like I'm sick of taking it. I hate the flavor. So we talked about like, well, maybe we add something different in, you know, to your point, Meg, that maybe you saw people with a couple different things. And then for some people, they don't want to think about it and they just want to take the exact same thing every 30 minutes, right? And is that enough electrolytes? Do we need to tweak that a little bit? So it really was a lot of personal preference. You know, I was just making sure in the end of the day, they were getting enough carbs to fuel their body to their fastest marathon. Um, but how we got there, as you saw, was all over the board from a product standpoint. Very cool. I love that. All right. So by the time people hear this podcast, we're going to be right after Christmas, right before New Year's. And this has got to be a crazy time of year for both of you, because this is when everybody decides they're going to get <laughs> the best shape of their life. They're going to run a goal race. They're going to change their whole nutrition thing. If you're actually trying to help people to change their lives and do something sustainable, like how do you handle this time of year? And what advice do you have for people that genuinely want to change their life but continue to fall back into old habits i would i would say we get more of the like post-race magic excitement um and like i want to do what they're doing Mm -hmm. (laughs) that type of um reaction and and some like around the holidays and and like i want to get something for my wife for this new year to get her fit not like I'm not talking about like that Peloton ad with the guys getting his <laughs> like a rowing machine. That's not what I mean. <laughs> like she wants this, yeah. <laughs> but like <laughs> she wants to be fit. Um, no, but like uh, you know, a couple of years ago we had a weird influx January second. It was like very noticeable and odd, and then we haven't had that since. It's been more seasonal, so it's like a race happens and we get a bunch of of new athletes. Um, and it it happens in the fall and it happens in the spring and in between it's quite quiet. Um, so we don't have all of that though. We do have the people who like see the race magic and they're like, I want to do that. Um, and luckily it's, I I will say the, the gift of social media is that because people can follow other people, they can kind of see what they're doing along the way. And then if they have questions before they actually sign up, they can ask a client of our or an athlete of ours and say, Hey, do you like this? How is it going? So it's by the time they kind of, they eventually get to, to us, they're, they're already bought in they're, They know that it's going to work. They just have to trust us. So this isn't to say that everything is easy and hunky dory, but it, it is the gift of social media and, and fitness and coaching is that by the time they actually make their way to us, I don't have to convince them that it's going to work. Sometimes I do, but often they will trust quickly. And that's very helpful. I couldn't echo that more truthfully. And it's so nice, right? Like the, the trust factor is already there because they already know you. They already, to Mary's point, have talked to people who have worked with you. They already want to work with you and they're reaching out. You don't have to sell yourself to them. They know what they're getting into. Mm-hmm. They know, you know, exactly what to expect because they can see it live on Instagram. They can see it, you know, through their friends. So I totally agree. And I probably see more of the uptick in the new year. Um, just because a lot of people do kind of set that like 
new year, new me, which I hate, but, um, Mm -hmm. and also because I'm not huge into like diets, I don't think I see the rush in like January that a lot of people might, but I mean, let's be honest. A lot of people are like, all right, the holidays are done. Let's get serious about my spring race now. So I do see a pretty big influx in January and, you know, at the point in time it is just me so there is limited capacity at someday there needs to be more megan's but um you know so i do have you know some things coming out in the new year that'll be free for everybody to take advantage of you know just because there are limited spots you know to work together um so yeah it's a little a little nutty but it's all good right it's all good stuff <laughs> i feel like nutrition is the i mean Running is the constant for a lot of people, and nutrition is that, like strength training, is that like, oh yeah, let me invest my time in this now, kind of thing. So I, w- I would bet that you probably have more of a difference, Megan, than, than we would, because the running is the- 100%. Everyone's homeostasis. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. It's like the college degree is running, and the master's is like adding strength and, yeah. and nutrition. It's like that next step. Like people are going to try to hone in on their nutri- or on their running, and then it, that gets them so far, and then they want to add like those extra layers of strength training or nutrition, and yeah. And then you're in too deep. You can't back out. One of the things we've learned today is that the team works, like building a team and having a team goal seems to work. And we're seeing it with the pros. We're seeing, you know, the different teams, NAZ Elite. We see, you know, Puma's now got a, a team down in... Um, team Boss. Yeah, there's Team Boss. There's, se- there, there's several different teams coming in. I think people are seeing success in it. It's not for everybody. You still see athletes doing solo work. But I'm wondering, like, in the future is kind of creating coaching around a team rather than an individual coaching what's more exciting for you and um do you do you agree that there's some benefit that you're seeing a stronger benefit for runners as a team rather than doing it solo oh yeah that's the goal the goal is to not be exclusive to a three-hour marathon and my so i talked about this before covid after sub three version one it was like, okay, let's now make all of the teams, like all of the teams, all of the people trying to go for a goal that is like-minded, um, have them all trained similarly. Um, and then of course COVID happened and that got derailed. Um, and 2021, this, this breaking three team was really like, Hey, our marathon's going to happen because honestly, up until the very end, I was uh, up until, you know, races like Chicago going off, I really wasn't sure if, if marathons would happen. So this year was just kind of like that tiptoe back into the team world in my head. And then, and, and we expanded with multiple teams. Um, and then I would love to make a sub four team. Um, I like a BQ teams plural is harder because everyone's BQ is a little bit different. Um, but I've had a lot of people express interest in, whether they're LRP coaches or not, they're like, I want to be part of teams in the future. Like, what can I do to help? So um, there's definitely got to be a way to have more like-minded people work together, help each other, line up on the starting line together, knowing that they're going to go do the best they can do in a race. Um, So yeah, I would say the goal is definitely expanding and having other teams next year. Um, And I don't know, baby steps, right? Like I I can't say we're going to have like six new teams in, in 2022, but I think for sure, at least expanding it to, um, something like a sub four is, is a really important and natural next step. I like it. 
So if someone who's listening uh, is excited by all of this and wants to join a team or be a part of it, uh, where where should they go? Like, where will you be making these announcements? Most of the announcements will be done on Instagram. So Lift and Perform is the the official place. Um, my own as well. So it's a marathon. Um, and if you uh, also email, email, we kind of use secondary. So if you're not on Instagram and email is more of your thing, you can sign up for our e-blasts on our website. You, it's like a pop-up um, when you get to the site. So we will communicate all of those ways. All right. Awesome. Thanks for coming back and joining us, Mary. Yeah. Happy holidays. And yeah, have a good one. Thank you. You too. Awesome.